The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. We are continuing this week in our series for Advent, um, and that word means coming or arrival. Uh, And we're reading the accounts and remembering Jesus' first coming as we celebrate at Christmas time. But we are also being stirred with anxious anticipation as we look forward to the fact that he is coming again. Uh, Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Luke, chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 26. Uh, We've been taking three weeks, uh, so we're going to look at the accounts in Matthew, Luke, and John. Uh, Three weeks to look at the story the birth of Jesus. Um, and obviously we celebrate that at Christmas time. Some people do forget that's what it's about, uh, but we're not. Uh, last week we looked into Matthew's account of the events. Um, Matthew was a Hebrew, and he was primarily writing to convince his brethren of the truth about Jesus being the Messiah. Um, and so because of that, he focused a lot on Joseph's experience and his perspective uh, throughout the events, which that makes sense because he's writing to a patriarchal culture and society. So even though Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, he was still the head of the family, and in Jewish culture of that day, considered a more credible witness than Mary. I find that a little interesting in light of the fact that she carried and gave birth to Jesus, so I think her uh, account of the story might be just as, if not more credible than Joseph. So uh, we're, we're going to get into that tonight, because Luke, on the other hand, he's a Greek, Uh, He's the only Gentile, and so when I say that, I mean non-Jewish Christian writer of the New Testament. Everybody else was a Hebrew. He's the only guy that wasn't. Uh, This explains his more intent focus on Mary's perspective, right? Just kind of seems logically the lady that carried Jesus and gave birth to Jesus, maybe understanding what she had to say or what her perspective was of the events might be helpful. Uh, And it also explains his very detailed and kind of logical approach, him being Greek, Uh, to telling Jesus' story. Uh, He was not one of the 12 disciples, um, but he was a first-rate historian, wrote Luke and also the book of Acts. Um, And he compiled his book from interviews with those who were eyewitnesses. Uh, Luke was also a doctor, and so you you can see that somewhat in his language and how he focuses on the humanity of Jesus. And that's in contrast to John, whose account we'll look at next week. He does not even mention the birth story of Jesus because he focuses more on the divinity of Christ right from the jump. Uh, So tonight we're going to read a total of 42 verses, okay? Not all in order because as you look through Luke 1 and 2 here, um, the story of the birth of John the Baptist is woven in between uh, the story of the birth of Christ. And so we're going to jump a little bit. Um, 42 verses is a lot, but I'm pretty confident that won't be an issue because I know that we love God, love people, and love the scriptures here, right? Right. Good. Two of you are excited about 42 verses. The rest of you, you're stuck, so (laughs) you sat down, the lights are on. If you leave, it'll be awkward, so here we go. All right, Um, we're going to start in verse 26. I told you that, right? Are you there? All right, off we go. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We'll stop here for a moment and just take a look at some of um, what we see in those few verses. 
Let's look at verse 34 for just a moment. Uh, we see Mary ask a question. She says to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And I want to call your attention to the fact that this question is not totally unlike uh, Zachariah's question uh, that is talked about here in Luke 1 just above. So John the Baptist's dad, his name was Zacharias, okay? He was a priest. An angel visited him as well and told him that his wife who had been barren was now going to uh, bear him a son. And Zacharias asked a similar question to Mary. Um, he said, how am I going to, how can I trust that this is going to be true? We're both old, right? And so, and what happens right there is the angel says, well, I'm paraphrasing, Bottom line, the Lord sent me here to tell you this, so it's going to happen, but because of the motive with which you just asked that question, you're not going to be able to speak until the baby is born. And so, uh, kind of as a reminder of how important it is uh, to ask God questions with the right motive, Zechariah doesn't get to talk for a while. Um, but we don't see here the angel treating Mary's question, which is very similar. How am I, I mean, how is this going to happen? I'm a virgin. We don't, we don't see the same... Uh, connotation of that being a sin and what determines the difference. Well, I think it has to be motive. It can't be the specific words. I think Mary asked her question out of a sense of awe and wonder. She's already done the math of what's just happened here. The angel said, hello, favored one. First of all, like, <laughs> are you sure what comes next means I'm favored? Okay. We'll talk about that in a minute. But next, um, he's telling her she's going to have a baby, and she knows that she's not yet been with a man, and I know maybe their level of biological knowledge was not where we are today, but they still, they knew that much, right? That's not how that works. So she asked the question, I think it's more out of a sense of awe and wonder and real curiosity as opposed to Zacharias, whose question was kind of like, well, how am I know you're really going to do what you're saying? And uh, I think it, it's it says something to us about the way we ask the Lord questions. I don't think God is scared of any of your questions. I think we should be very careful how we ask our questions, though. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, so Mary's question in verse 34 is, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Okay? The answer is important, and it's in verse 35. Right? Here's what it says. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. And so there is more confusion than you would think about this issue. Um, and so what we see here is that uh, the answer to how is this going to be possible, how is a virgin going to give birth to the Son of God, uh, it is not through some type of strange divine sexual contact, like in Greek mythology, right? There, there are stories that are like that, like Zeus comes down, you know, lays with a woman, and out comes Hercules. I like those stories because it's about a guy that's really strong, and that's fun, right? So, um, and, and I'm kind of a meathead, so I like Hercules. Uh, even watched the terrible series with Kevin Sorbo. Um, so, some of you have no idea what that means, but if you do... I'm sure you agree, um, but so that's not how it happened. It's not like that, uh, it, it, but yet some people are confused about that, and, and they, they equate other stories, false mythological stories, to this same situation. It's, it's not the connotation we're given at all through the language. So the question is then how? If there is no sexual contact, right? We're all educated people here. We, you know, we've read science books. We've, we, we know that you know, we know where babies come from, right? We're not all still hung up on the stork story, so how, how can this be possible? And what we need to remember in answering that question, what we need to remember in asking that question, is that God, who is the author of life, and he's the architect of, of the biological laws that govern life, he is not subject to those laws. If he would like to, he can supersede the way it normally happens, because he's God, right? I'm happy about that. I'm glad that God is bigger and can do bigger things than I can do. I'm glad that he's not bound by the nature he created. Uh, so in short, the virgin birth is a miracle. And we need to be okay to say that, right? Because some have backed away from the virgin birth because the only way to explain it is a miracle, 
And there are those that try to go through the Bible and in, in an attempt to try to help God make more sense, they try to like make all the miracles that we see in the Bible have some natural explanation. You know, there's guys that try to talk about, well, there's this one spot in the Red Sea where it's a little more shallow than the rest, and if the winds were blowing from a certain spot at a certain time, well, you see, they just wrote that God pulled back the waters, but really what it was is they probably just walked through this kind of swampy area and, and it got embellished a little bit. No, no, no. That's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures say that the Egyptian army was in pursuit, that they were surely going to die, and that God literally parted the waters so that his people could walk through on dry land. And then when the enemy followed, they were swallowed up. That's what the Bible says. It wasn't everybody just, you know, walk through some knee-deep water, and we don't need to help God come up with a natural explanation for everything he decides to do. You happy about that or you sad about that? You need to get happy about it. Happier than you're looking right now. God can do miracles, and I'm real happy about that. Because some, right, just you're looking at a miracle right now. The fact that I'm standing up here trying to tell you that the Bible's true and let every man be a liar, that's a miracle. Because if it wasn't for the miraculous saving power of the gospel of God, I wouldn't be up here doing this be in jail or dead or worse. Let me hear an amen on that, because some of you are in the same spot. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> we'll just leave that right there, and I'll stare down at this. Um, so some, some people have backed away from the virgin birth because they want to kind of walk in both worlds and say, yeah, well, you know, I think there's like valuable moral principles to be drawn out of the Bible, but, you know, the miracle stuff, you know, I'm scientific. Okay. Um, there have been actually like prominent so-called pastors who have, they've asked this question. Well, what does it matter if Mary wasn't a virgin? What does it matter if if we don't cling to what the Bible says clearly that Jesus was born of a virgin, what do we, what do we lose? Um, I'll give you a couple things. How about uh, the inerrancy and the truthfulness of the scriptures for one? Because I don't think the scriptures are really pulling punches on what it is they're saying. Mary was a virgin, an angel showed up and said, you're going to be with child. The spirit of God is going to overshadow you and you are going to give birth to the son of God. That's in the miracle bucket, okay? Um, there's no getting around that. So, first of all, if we back away from the virgin birth, what we're saying is, well, the Bible just spiced up the story a little bit, but that's not really what happened. And so what we lose there is the inerrancy and authority of the word. And there are those that are quite happy about that because if you can take away the inerrancy and authority of the word, that means I get to determine which parts of that I want to listen to. Like if there's cool stuff like the golden rule and other stuff that I think is generally good and, and you know, is positive, then I can rock with that. But, you know, the stuff that says I'm a, I'm a sinner and I'm desperate need of a savior and, and I'm, I'm dead in my sins without the help of Jesus and his gospel, well, I can kind of you know, kick that stuff out. And then if there's any stuff that kind of makes it uncomfortable or awkward to be in a social situation in a culture that's decided the Bible isn't inerrant or authoritative, well, then I can just kind of go with that flow and I don't ever have to suffer persecution or any kind of awkward situation where I stand up and say, hey, 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 you might be wrong and the Bible's right. Some people like that. Don't do that. That's a coward's way out and it's not true. The Bible's true. If anybody stands up and says, hey, 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 I know better than the Bible, you can just right off the bat, sorry, sir, you are confused. <laughs> or ma'am, okay? Uh, so we lose the inerrancy and truthfulness of the scriptures. If we say, well, maybe it wasn't a virgin birth, maybe that was just to make the story nicer, right? Um, and, and the other reality is if, if Mary was not the humble servant and virgin mother of Jesus, then she was a liar and she was a fornicator. It changes the story a bit, does it not? Either an angel showed up and told her, by God's Holy Spirit, you're going to be with child, or she snuck down around the corner when Joseph wasn't looking and something biological happened. Are you following me? And then she came back and said, oh, well, here's what happened. There was an angel. <laughs> right? It's a different story. We lose something without the virgin birth, Yes? Are you there with me? Okay, if you're not convinced on that yet, come see me afterwards and we'll have a fun conversation about it. All right. Also, just in case you were wondering, this may come up. Um, 
We do not believe in the perpetual virginity of Mary. Okay, Some people believe that Mary, even after giving birth to Jesus, uh, continued to be a virgin for the rest of her life. There's a couple reasons why we don't believe that. First of all, the Bible says that Jesus had brothers, very clearly. Uh, the connotation is that they were Joseph and Mary's children, and there's no more mention of virgin births, so something must have happened. Uh, secondly, I know Joseph was a really awesome guy, and I, I mean, I seriously mean that, clearly, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Um, we saw it a lot last week, like the brother had some serious character, however... That would be a big ask from God. Like, don't worry about this virgin birth thing. I want you to still take her as your wife. Plus, don't ever be intimate with her. I'm not, based on Joseph's character and caliber as portrayed in the scriptures, I'm not saying he wouldn't have done that. I'm just saying, I don't know that God would ask that of somebody, right? Right? And I mean, all the husbands in the church said, amen. amen. I mean, come on. <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, so we'll get off of that now. Um, so after Mary gets this news from the angel, she goes to her cousin Elizabeth's house, and we're going to pick up in verse 45, and what we're going to see here um, is Elizabeth talking to Mary. Okay, so uh, this, is, this is Elizabeth addressing Mary, starting in verse 45. It says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And then Mary starts to speak. This is actually a song she begins to sing, okay? Uh, and Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. So we see here that Mary sings a song of praise and gratitude. And really that song, it just echoes what she already expressed in verse 38. So I want to read verse 38 again. I want us to remember and really try to emotionally connect with the fact that this is Mary's response to an angel showing up and saying, you're going to have God's baby. Okay? Sometimes when we hear these stories so many times, it's like, yeah, 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 okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. Really put yourself here for a second, and, and then we're going to work a little bit with how close would our response be to this. Okay? So here's Mary's response to, you're going to have God's baby, it's going to be a miracle. Okay? Verse 38, and Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Wow. How many of you ladies, this may have not been your response? Can we be honest? <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Mary's in, let's think about it for a second. Mary's engaged, okay? Uh, she's planning a wedding. This is where she's at in her life. Uh, she's probably already having the dress being made, and an angel shows up to tell her that she's going to be pregnant with the Savior of the world. And she doesn't get to pick his name. That's already been done too. <laughs> How many of you ladies are super confident that your next, the next thing you would say is, behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me as you have said. And then sing a song <laughs> about how thankful you are for this message from an angel to somebody that has supposedly found favor with God. That's a bit of an interruption to the plan and direction she was headed on, is it not? Right. There's more to the Christmas story than just, whoa, yeah, it's a manger. Um, you know, and some of you ladies might be tempted. Sometimes we do this when we're presented with difficulty and or maybe something that God is asking of us that we're not that thrilled about. Um, sometimes we, like, we try to bargain. And so some of you ladies might be like, you know, okay, God, I hear you. I'll, I'll be your baby mama, but here's what's going to happen. Um, I don't want to get fat. 
and I don't want to get stretch marks because if you can make a virgin have a baby, you can make a skinny virgin have a baby. All right? Biological laws, laws of physics, not in play. Those are the terms, God. She doesn't argue, does she? She doesn't push back. She doesn't bargain. She's actually grateful to be used by God, even though it is a clear disruption to the plan that she had. Guys, this is beautiful. All of this is beautiful because it's, it's letting us know the history of how we went from death to life. And so there's incredible beauty in like the Jesus portion of this, but there's incredible beauty and lessons to be learned from how the folks that were selected for the task of raising the Son of God, how they responded. It's absolutely beautiful and inspiring. Uh, we can all learn from Mary's response. It, it speaks to her humility and her complete trust in the Lord. Just read it to you again. This is her response. Behold your servant. May it be done to me according to your word. I want to say that more often. Amen. Let's, um, let's turn over to chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. And we're just going to read to verse 20, okay? Uh, now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius, there you go, was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, Judea, that's another different place in the Bible, look it up later, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people." For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord had made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Uh, first of all, the more I read about Joseph, the more I understand why God chose him to raise Jesus. Uh, he made it the 70-some miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem with a pregnant Mary, and apparently didn't ditch her along the way or get stabbed by her in his sleep, right? You guys imagine this picture again? See, you're checking out because you've heard this story before. A four-day walk on foot, third trimester, pregnant Mary. Are we having fun? We're not having fun. This is not a good time, right? You could be in a car filled with silk pillows, and that's still not a good time. They're either on foot or on a donkey, <laughs> And uh, uh, he's a solid brother. Uh, normally, it's a four-day journey. Um, we don't really know how they were traveling per se, but um, having a pregnant lady in her third trimester, she would not have been a happy little traveler, I can assume. Um, can you imagine the potty stops, right? I mean, third trimester, pregnant woman. Whether you're walking or bouncing on a donkey, it's going to be bad. So he's like, you know, checking his equivalent of a watch and... Uh, we got to get here for the census. Everybody's frustrated, but he made it through that, and um, they stayed together, apparently, so <laughs> that's pretty amazing, right? 
Motivation for you the next time you're on a trip and tempted to be nasty. Um, verse 7, let's, um, let's just take a look at that. It says, she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I just want to call attention to and have us look at the beautiful humility of our creator king. Um, not only does he leave his throne and the presence of the Father to come be born a son of man to save us. I mean, not only does he do as if that wasn't enough, he was born in the humblest possible circumstances. He released his first cry, not in a pristine and regal castle, as would be expected, but in a barn. The first breath he inhaled did not smell of fine silks and the flowers of royalty, but the stench of animals and their excrement. This arrival shows us a glimpse of his purpose in coming. Jesus was not only born in the most humble way possible, but he died that way as well. Completely innocent, yet accused, tortured, and executed like a criminal by the very ones he came to save. There are many high and wonderful words that could be used to describe the life of Jesus. But no doubt from his birth to his death, humility is one of them. He sets a bar for humility that we could never hope to reach, but we should always strive for. Amen? King Jesus comes as a helpless baby, totally dependent on a poor teenage mother from a little podunk town and the blue-collar guy that she was about to marry. And he's dependent on them to take care of him. Not royalty, not even some rich people. The last ones that you would assume would get picked for perhaps the most important task anyone's ever been given, other than the one that was given to Christ himself of course. Second to the mission of Jesus coming to die in our place for our sins, the mission to keep him safe and raise him up <laughs> ranks is pretty important. And we see the character qualities that led to them being selected. A humility that let them answer, this has absolutely nothing to do with the direction I was headed, God, but may it be done as you have said. And consider, they considered themselves blessed and favored for being selected for that mission. Do you understand that altered the entire arc of their life? What they saw from their perspective, everything changed. Nothing stayed the same. And yet their trust and their love for God was so real and vibrant that that was not too big of an ask. Why do I keep bringing your attention to that? Because the reality is, when you get to the point where you really humbly, totally surrender your heart to Jesus, plans are probably going to change. Some stuff you thought was going to happen probably won't happen. Some stuff you thought would never happen, it might just be up on the docket. I want you to be ready for that, because I love you, and I want you to answer like Mary did, because I love Jesus, and I want him to be glorified through your life, through your humility, through your obedience. Sure. You could refuse to ever let yourself be open and vulnerable and humble enough to even consider a command like this from God that would totally rock your world and change your plan. But if you do that, you will not find that deep sense of joy that every human yearns for. You will only find the deepest joy that is possible for a human in the midst of God's will. And that might mean you have to take some unexpected turns. And when he hits you with the unexpected turn, say, hallelujah, thank you. I trust you. You guys would look so excited about this. I cannot tell you. I, I'm a little bit concerned about crowd control right now because of the, you know, absolute exuberance that you're putting forth. No, I get it. It's big. It's heavy. Um, I know there's been times I have not responded like Mary. And there's been times I've not responded like Joseph when... <laughs> When God hit me with something that I didn't see coming, or he asked me to do something that was going to totally make me change directions from the way that I was headed. Um, but for the rest of my life, I want to do better at that. Amen. I'll need his help, right? 
Because our human tendency is to track towards, you know, I've got a plan, leave me alone. But that leads to misery. Amen. Can you imagine this scene? (laughs) The sights and smells surrounding Mary as she is giving birth to Jesus. Not all of you have had this experience yet, but those of you that have will know what I'm saying is true. Uh, Live childbirth is a wild experience in a sterile hospital room. (laughs) I just saw a few guys, you know, get dizzy again just remembering. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever, ever in my life literally felt the blood leave my face. But uh, live childbirth accomplished that. So it's really wonderful. It's great, beautiful, miraculous experience. Yes, yes, yes. But... It's wild. <laughs> There's nothing like it. Um, and that's, it's crazy in a sterile hospital room, but can you imagine Mary trying to focus and, you know, she's trying to breathe through contractions and, you know, it's, I've not done it, but I've been in the room, you know, and clearly that takes a lot of mental focus. It's not something you just do easily. So she's trying to do that. She's breathing, you know, and then you, you got this donkey over in the corner with the eon, eon. She's trying to breathe, right? I'm just, I can just imagine her like just, just grabbing Joseph's tunic and pulling him right down. And like, if you do not get that donkey to stop making noise, I will kill it and every other living thing in this manger. And that includes you, right? So fix this. It's just like, it, it, <laughs> yes, Lord, I will have your baby and I will raise him and I will name him Jesus. I don't get to name him. And my whole life is going to be completely altered. And we'll do that in a manger because that was, it was important to the plan of God that Jesus coming was in that unexpected way so that we would see the complete and total humility of the God who made us, the one who has no need of being humble, did that so that none of us could ever get it twisted and start thinking in our own minds, that we have no need of humility. Because God, who should not be humble, went first. Marking out a path for us that we should follow. You can't come in much more of a humble way (laughs) than when he did, how he did, to whom he did. And this brings glory to God. Um, and this, honestly, this story is like, it, it's really, it's too crazy to make up. I just, I laugh sometimes when, like, people whose prevailing theory is, yeah, these Hebrew guys got together and they wanted to make a religion because they thought that would be, you know, cool and they were bored. And so they, they cooked all of this stuff up, right? <laughs> Anybody that believes that has not read this. How do you make this up? And furthermore, let's just think about basic human nature. Like, when You look at all the other religions, myths, and they write about God's coming uh, to be among men. The story is never like this. Like they are always like superhuman and glorious and strong and mighty because that is what humans equate with greatness. Is it not? No, that you can't make this stuff up. That this poor teenage girl is asked to have a virgin birth, and then it ends up in a manger. There's nothing, humans don't, like, like if we didn't have the help and the Holy Spirit and, 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 and what the gospel has done in our hearts, like, why would, why would we follow this kind of inglorious guy that was born in a manger? Like, what, I, I want a God like the Viking gods, right? I want a guy with, like, gold chain mail and a sword so big that you just, you know, it's, he could just kill anybody right now without even thinking about it. Like, that's, the, that's who men want to follow, and that's what those stories are like. Like Hercules, right? That, that when, Zeus, when Zeus mates with a woman, what you get is Hercules, champion, right? Like, that's, that's the kind of stuff. When men dream stuff up, that's what it looks like. It doesn't look like <laughs> two engaged people submitting their life in a virgin birth happening in a manger, and then, you're, and then you're asking people to believe that that's a God-man. Come on. It's too crazy to make up. Who sits and dreams that up? That's, that doesn't look like a fairy tale to me. 
I think it's evidence that it really happened. But here's the thing. Men normally equate that other stuff with greatness, but Jesus starts a lesson with his birth that he finishes at the cross. That the one true creator God is not proud and haughty, but he's loving and amazingly humble. He's so humble that he would consider his creation the ones who rebelled against him, who rejected his love and chose sin instead to be so important that he would step in and pay for them with his own blood. And in so doing, making a way that they could trust in his finished work and be saved from sin and the punishment they deserve. And let me say plainly what that is. It's hell. There's a lot of people who don't like to say that anymore either. They like to say things like, well, if God was loving, there could be no hell. How could a loving God ever send somebody to hell? You ever heard somebody say that before? Let me help you with something. This isn't in my notes, but we need to deal with stuff like this because there are people that will stay away from trusting Jesus their whole life because somebody who thinks they got it all figured out throws out some question like that and, and thinks that's the end all be all. Well, clearly that's not loving. Well, hold on, hold on a second. First of all, we see that clearly from the beginning, God's intention was through creation and through creating humans to create children and not robots. Is that true or not true? Yes. Can you love a robot? Can a robot love you? I know you guys watch some weird sci-fi movies sometimes, so some of you are conflicted about this answer. The answer is no. <laughs> Very clearly, okay? I, I, no, I'm not even going to go there. Okay, so moving on. Um, I had a comment, but thank God the Holy Ghost is making my filter thicker. It's good. <laughs> Being sanctified. All right. Um, so, no, you cannot. You cannot. A robot cannot love you, and you cannot love a robot. And so man had a choice to obey him or not, to stay in fellowship with him or to sin instead. And we chose not to. Here's the thing. There are still people today that can, they will be presented with all of the evidence that God is loving and incredibly humble, they, they could be presented with a pure and, and, and the most eloquent um, pre presentation of the gospel that anyone ever has, and they will still choose to reject it. Would it be loving for God to force that person then against their will to serve him? Isn't that slavery? That's not love. There are people that don't want to love Jesus. They just don't want to. And is it loving to God's children who do want to be with him for eternity to force a bunch of people that don't want to be there to be there? I don't think it is. God will not make someone love him. Do I wish that he would? Sometimes, yeah. But that's where it comes down to, he knows more than I do. There is a point in the logic road where it comes down to faith. And that's the point. You could stand and shake your fist and debate with God whether or not giving humans the ability to love him back or not was a good choice. Um, but that would reek more of a Zacharias question than a Mary question. You know what I'm talking about? Be real careful with that. There's a certain point where God is God. I think sometimes people stop short of that point um, because they just don't want to think, and that makes Christians look dumb. But there is a certain point when you think it all the way through that it comes down to <laughs> when you create everything, you, you kind of get the final say. And those you created go, yes, sir. May it be done to me as you've commanded. Amen. Yes, it's a bummer that there are some that will willfully choose to reject Jesus. I'm not happy about it. I'm not, I'm not one of these guys that relishes the fact that people will spend eternity in hell. And that's not why I don't, I don't have some twisted you know, superiority complex that makes me feel happy about that like some guys that talk about this do. But still, to try to erase the fact that there is two eternal options is not faithful to Scripture, and so I won't do it. I don't care how uncomfortable it makes some people. Amen. You like that too, I could tell. You're really pumped on that one. Uh, <laughs> so, 
what Jesus did in coming is, is he gave us an opportunity to trust in his finished work so that we could be saved from sin and the punishment that sin deserves, which is hell. And, and here's something else for you to consider. The worst part of hell is not the fire or the darkness or the weeping or the gnashing of teeth. The absolute worst part of hell is to be separated from a God that loves you so much that he would come, be born in a manger, live a perfect life, and then be executed as an innocent in your place for your sins. The worst part of hell is that you won't get to be with that God. Amen. The good news of the gospel, it begins with this advent or this arrival of the Savior born in a manger. Now, the bad news, it, it answers the questions of, of why did he have to come? Why did all of this have to happen? Why did, why did Jesus need to come, be, be born of a virgin, be raised by Mary and Joseph? Why did he have to live a perfect life and die on the cross? Why did that have to happen? Well, that had to happen because of what we just mentioned a moment ago, that though God created man perfect and with the opportunity to be in fellowship with him and, and to obey him, man chose not to do that. And because of that, sin entered the world. The world from that point on was cursed, and that, that sin nature is passed down through the seed of man. And so every single man and every single woman born, other than Jesus, is born a sinner. We're born sinners. We are sinners by nature and by choice. So it's not this unfair thing because even if somehow it, it all worked out where you were born innocent, which is not the case, you'd still end up messing up. Okay, so that's the bottom line. Now, here's, here's the deal though. We went from perfect in relationship with God because of sin. Now we are imperfect, stained, no longer white, but, but dirty. We are separated from God. Uh, Paul says that we are dead in our sins. Paul also says that we, were, we are slaves to our sin. And so Jesus coming, this Advent season, this Christmas celebration, baby Jesus in a manger is not just a cute story. It doesn't belong next to other myths and legends. This is the rescue plan of the God of the universe to fix what went wrong when man sinned. This was the plan to take us from separated hopelessly from the God that loves us to reconnected to him and in relationship. And so Jesus comes. He lives a perfect life. And then what we celebrate around Easter time, Good Friday, Easter, that's coming up soon. That's, that's our other time to really party because we're remembering the beauty of how the rest of his life goes. See, right now we're remembering that he came. He fulfilled the promise to come. Soon we're going to be thinking about the fact that he fulfilled his promise to die for us. He stepped in, took the punishment that every single one of us deserved because of our sin. God saw that as justice, allowed us to trust in the fact that his sacrifice, his love, and his finished work, that that paid the price for sin. He lets us take part in that, not by also suffering that way, not by also trying to atone for our sins, but just by simply believing that what Jesus did paid the price. He made it go from us trying to work, which was impossible anyways, to get ourselves clean again, to be able to, by faith, trust in the finished work of Christ. And in that, have redemption and reconciliation and hope. Jesus didn't just die on the cross. Three days later, he rose because death had no claim to him. He was perfect. And he now sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And so this, this Advent story, this, this taking our remembrance and our affection back to the coming of our Savior in the humblest of circumstances, it, it should rise in us this incredible, this, this joy and this gratitude. But what it should also do is stir in us a, a anxious anticipation for the fulfillment of the next promise because he did come and he did do what he said he was going to do and that's a lot of evidence that should give us a real um, joyous anticipation for the fact that he's going to come and fulfill his final promise which is, you, you should check that out every once in a while whenever you're feeling down because the way this picture ends 
He's already done the hard work. Next time when he comes, he's not coming as a humble, marginalized Galilean peasant. He ain't going to be a baby in a manger. He's coming as the king of glory. And he's coming totally with all of the authority to lay waste to every one of his enemies. And he's going to be the prince of peace. Not because he's going to come and pet sheep and hold kids, but because he's going to totally decimate every single enemy that would rise up against him. And we will have peace because we're on his team. That's how this is going to end. And so if you're not looking forward to that, something's wrong. You just don't get it. You're not thinking about it. I'm asking you to let your focus, your attention and affection be set towards that future hope and let it, let it motivate and let it inform the way you live. That's where we're headed, towards total victory. He does all the fighting. We get to partake in it. And in the meantime, what we're called to do, here's what he wants from us. Live lives in light of that message, live lives in light of those two promises, and let everybody that you possibly can know about it. Woo! What a deal! I don't have to do the work. I don't got to pick up a sword. I don't got to fight anybody. I just get to waltz on in when the king already gets gets it done because he's got the authority to do it. I'm on the winning team. We already know how it goes. And all he wants me to do is be happy about the fact that that's true. (laughs) Come on, man. And tell somebody when I get the opportunity. Mm, that's a sweet deal. And so I invite you today to put faith in that gospel. I invite you today to trust in Jesus, to surrender your life, to really stop thinking that there's any logic whatsoever in you being your own God. That just doesn't even make sense. You didn't make you, you didn't create you, and you definitely weren't there all the way back at the beginning when all this started. And so if you're not God, who is God? Well, I would say, this is God. I don't think it's Zeus. I don't think it's Poseidon. I don't think it's Odin or any of the others. I think there's a whole lot of evidence that would point us to the fact that the God of the Bible is the God of the universe and that King Jesus is his son and that he came and died in our place for our sins. And I think there's a lot of reason to believe he's worthy of your trust. I think there's a lot of reason for you to believe he's worthy of you laying down your life, of you loving him in return. You see, for you to love Jesus is not just going to be some conscious decision like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do that. You loving Jesus is going to be a response to truly, finally understanding how much you've been loved. See, some of you, you still think how this works is, if I, I, I'm, I'm jacked up, and if I could just get good enough, if I can get to this point, whatever this this idea in my mind is this line I can get to, if I can just get to a certain level of not so jacked up, then God will love me. You, here's the thing. <laughs> we don't obey God so that he'll love us. You got to get that. We obey God because he loves us. He already proved to you his love for you. In coming and living a perfect life and then dying in your place for your sin, he proved it. You are loved. You're loved right now. Here's what it's about. Here, I'll use a Christmas analogy. It's you just need to reach out and receive that gift of love. It's sitting there. It's wrapped. It's pretty. But some of you just sit across the room from it and stare at it because you don't think you're worthy to open it. Let me tell you today, you are. Not because of you. I know you're jacked up. But because of him, he made a way where you can take that gift and you can open it up and you can receive it with joy. Do you hear me? Please, don't leave it sitting there anymore. Trust in Jesus. He's earned it. He's worthy of it. Love him because he he already loves you. Serve him. Be willing to surrender your life to him to the point that no matter what he would ask of you, just like Mary and Joseph, you would say, go ahead, do that. I don't see how that's going to work. I don't see how that fits into my plan. Like I wanted to marry this guy and have a nice, normal life, but what you're telling me is now I'm going to be a virgin mom. But I love you and I trust you so much, then please do, do that. If that leads to your glory, then I know it's going to lead to my joy. And so, yes. That's, what, that's the call, dear ones. That's where we got to get. And it's, the, the kicker is, the most joy you'll ever possibly find is in that level of surrender and submission. Will you believe it? Will you believe that today? I invite you to, because it's true. 
May we be a people who trust God so completely that our only answer to him would be, behold your servant, may it be done to me according to your word. May the beauty and humility of King Jesus' arrival to rescue us lead us to be ever seeking deeper humility ourselves. May we be filled with wonder and awe that leads us to obedience as we remember that Jesus came. And may we be filled with joyous anticipation as we wait for his final coming. May we spend less time asking Jesus for what we need and spend more time worshiping the one who is all that we need. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. We thank you that we can come in that beautiful name. We thank you that you've made a way that we have access to you, that we can be reconciled to you. It is only through the beautiful story that starts with this Advent recognition that Jesus came. Thank you, Lord, that we have this time that we can set our focus and attention back on the the fulfilling of your promise to come, to come and rescue us, to come and to make a way, to come and live a perfect life, the life that none of us could. Thank you that we get to remember that this time of year. Lord, please help us. The temptations are so great to be distracted and to have our minds focused on everything other than what this whole celebration is supposed to be about. God, we are so prone to get wrapped up in all of the stuff around us, the commercialism, the consumerism. There's this draw on our attention. There's this draw on our affection to, to make this about consuming and make this about image and all this stuff that, Lord, it's the complete opposite of what we should be focused on. Lord, help us not only to be completely in awe and and full of gratitude for your coming in December, but God, let every day of the year, may our hearts be full to overflowing with gratitude for the fact that you came and the fact that you're coming. Lord, may your promises be such a source of sweet joy to us. May we trust you in them. And may your precious promises and your faithfulness to them, may the beauty of your word, may your goodness and your loving kindness toward us, God, may these things cause us to live differently. Lord, help us. Help us to believe and help us to live as a people who are loved. Help us not to live constantly striving for your affection that you've already given us. Lord, please, don't let the lies of of pride and self-righteousness keep us from you. But God, we ask that every single day you would draw us closer to you than the day we were before. God, please help us understand your gospel more so tomorrow than we do today. God, please let let it inform the way that we live and speak and think ever more each day. I want to love you more tomorrow than I do today, and I want it to show. God, please don't ever let me get this attitude that because I've, I've read this account of the virgin birth in Luke before, that somehow now, now it has nothing to say to me. God, I, I want to be filled and renewed with passion every single time. My eyes have the absolute privilege of, of being ran across the words that formed the sentences and the paragraphs that would tell me the story of you coming on a plan of redemption and rescue for a guy like me. Lord, I don't want to take your word for granted. Please don't let me. Help me not to do that. We love you so much, Jesus. Thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.